Now, more than ever, the great people of Tennessee are frustrated with the current direction we're headed as a state and as a country. We, the people, need to take a stand together, not simply as individuals, but as a force of nature in order to protect individual liberty. On this show, you'll hear from three voices who lead an organization called Tennessee Stands. Myself, John Fender, the Director of Communications, Gary Humble, the Executive Director, and Kevin Kukaji, the Chairman of the Board. We'll sit down with politicians, business leaders, community organizers, and citizens just like yourself to discuss the ideas, action points, and strategies needed to boldly take a stand and assert the unalienable rights given to us naturally by God. Welcome to the Freedom Matters Podcast. All right, welcome to episode three, right? Episode three. That's right. Three. That means we've made it this far. (laughs) Hopefully our listeners made it this far too. Yeah. Oh, you look like you have something to say. <laughs> uh, but I, th- I think the first thing we should, well, that, that I want to start off with is that, I don't know if it's an apology that we need to give to listeners, but we were out of out of sync with the whole Supreme Court thing. So right off the top, we should probably cover that. Because the last time we recorded, we recorded before the before the Supreme Court came to a decision, but then the episode came out after the Supreme Court made the decision. Yeah, well, also on that, you never know, right, when the Supreme Court was going to rule. That's true. The way the courts have been rolling for us these days, they just tend to sit on these things for months, so. That's true. Kind of shocking. They I know. They so fast. What, which is a good thing. Yeah. It's a great thing. So, yeah. do we, uh, do either one of you want to give an overview of what happened? Gary can give the overview. I always give opinion. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. I also make no apologies. <laughs> I don't think anybody on this show Makes apologies, do we? Apology was the wrong word. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. We do. Because remember, Gary had a problem with the fact that in the first episode, he felt that we were um, congratulating each other or thanking each other too much. So this is actually the episode where we say, Gary, you suck, and John, you suck. Oh, right. This is where we just (laughs) rail on each other the whole time. I I don't like your opinion at all. This is the roasting episode. (laughs) All right. No. So, I mean, just really quick, and we've got some other stuff to talk about, but I'm sure most people know by now. But yeah, the Supreme Court uh, ruled a place to stay on the OSHA mandate, which means that currently the OSHA requirement for employers with 100 or more employees um, is inapplicable right now across the country. Um, However, the Supreme Court did not come to the rescue of healthcare workers. So healthcare workers across the country uh, are still subject to CMS, except in states like Florida, uh, where the governor made a very public statement saying, uh, guess what? We're not going to abide by CMS regulations because it's against Florida state law. Unfortunately, here in the state of Tennessee, the law we passed created an exception Mm. uh, for the CMS rule, uh, which would then obligate healthcare facilities in our state to follow uh, the federal guidelines uh, instead of being protected by a layer of state law. So that's where we sit now. And the, the last thing is just really important for everyone to know, this: there's nothing permanent about this. These are, tempor- these are stays. They're temporary in the sense that they don't have a time limit, but we are still awaiting the final decision of the court um, in both of these cases, that's why I hesitated to call it a ruling because it's. I mean, is it a is it is yeah, it a, a ruling? It's a ruling. It's a court order. It's a ruling for a stay. That's right. 
not a ruling to like completely for the strike final, it down. That's right. Okay. So that's where we are. Kevin, did you have an opinion? Not yet. Oh. Not yet, because while Gary was talking, I was actually researching a news point that I wanted to make, but I've not found it yet, and so now I'm distracted. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> so well, glad we, you could join us for the podcast. We, <laughs> I'm here. I'm doing my research. We, we can create more time for Kevin to do his research while we're podcasting and introduce. We have a we have a pop-in. There is a fourth person at the table. Unannounced guest today at our podcast. Just show it. Guy just showed up. Yeah, well, Gary, he kind of showed up with you, so would you, would you like to introduce him? Yeah, we have with us today uh, my good friend, Murray County Mayor Andy Ogles. Welcome to the show. Hello, guys. How are y'all? I'm good. Middle class. How are you? I'm doing well. I didn't yeah. have to go to jail because of the OSHA mandate, which is always good. That's great. That's, That's good. a good thing. I forgot, uh, yeah, I forgot you made that statement. This, this kept you out of, out of jail. So That's for right. those that missed it, what was the statement you made? Well, so... So the Supreme Court heard uh, arguments on, on that Friday. The uh, the enforcement of the mandate, the OSHA mandate, was going to go into effect the following Monday. So right. that's kind of your timeline, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they weren't going to rule until later in the week. And so, however, OSHA was going to start enforcing come Monday, but not fining corporations. Right. And so there was a lot of angst amongst county employees as to what we were going to do. And so I sent out a memo to all county employees that uh, I would go to jail before they were forced to take any vaccine. And then the following day, so shout out to Mayor Glenn Jacobs, the Knox County Mayor. Uh, on Tuesdays, I do iHeartRadio for two hours. Okay. And uh, he called into the radio program and said that uh, he would go to jail with me. Oh, mm. come on. And, uh, and, I missed that. All and, right. And, nice. And, and it should be noted as my bodyguard, not my spouse. <laughs> so um, and so that's an important distinction. And so he said uh, he would go to jail. And I'm, with sure, me. I'm sure he appreciates that distinction being made as well. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it was uh, – but fortunately, what that did was is it, sent, it sent a message to, you know, one, to employees, but two, to your General Assembly. They're in session. They have a lot of opportunity right now to push back against a lot of this nonsense. Mm-hmm. What were things you were hearing in, like, in your particular neck of the woods in Maury County? Were, were you hearing from local business owners who were freaked out about this? Really, really quick. There, there's some things we have to fix here in Tennessee. All I, right? I know what you're going to say. It's Murray. <laughs> I knew it. Murray County. And you know, I had the same problem for years because where I grew up in Pennsylvania, M-A-U-R-Y was Maury. Yeah, it's Murray. This isn't but, the Murray. But everybody, that, show. but everybody that lives in Tennessee it's calls Murray it Murray. M U, as if it's spelled M U R R A Y. I've lived here for twenty-one years, and you're the first person that's corrected me on that. Really? Are you kidding me? Not kidding you. Well, I got the Murray County Mayor. What do you say, Murray County Mayor? It's Murray. All right, <laughs> as in Bill Murray. All uh, right. You know, but what were you hearing from people in Murray County? <laughs> How's that? <laughs> hey, man. Well, I forget well, how lazy you have to be with how you pronounce things uh, in Tennessee. Um. You know, just a lot of angst, like, what do we do? And, and again, you're, you know, you're, I believe courage is contagious. Mm. And so by standing up on some of these issues, it, get, it gives others kind of that clearance, that go-ahead to be bold as well. And unfortunately, you know, I use the word bold, and, and I don't consider it bold when you're just following those right. inalienable rights that were given to us. You know, certain powers we, we enumerated to the federal government. Uh, everything else is left to the states. In other words, the people. And when you have a president using uh, regulatory agencies to create law, you're going around that careful balance of the Tenth Amendment of states' rights versus federal government. Yeah. Come on. It's good. Love it. 
Where's I? Never mind. Is Kevin still researching? (laughs) I am. I feel like this is falling apart quickly. No, because this will be this will be important later. I've just got to find it so I don't misquote. Okay. Tennessee, we do you you see how important we're taking our job here? This is it's critical work here. It is. Well, I I, so I sort of uh, I wanted to get into something today. All right. Because. Coming into the podcast today, and of course, I'm I'm always sort of deliberating during the week. You know, what are we going to talk about? What's what's and and of course, as the week goes, you realize in today's economy of politics, something you can count on the fact that by the time we get here to record, something's going down. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, one of the things I want to bring up, and I think it's just an, an important discussion in terms of the laws that we live by, the laws that 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 protect us. Wait a second. Since Gary corrected the way you mispronounced Murray, mm-hmm. Uh-oh. it's the laws by which we live. Okay. You can't teacher. end the, the sentence teacher. in a prop in a preposition. You can end it in a proposition, just, <laughs> just not a preposition. Go wow. So, uh, we that... told you this. You, you, start, said, you started it. Yeah, because you told us that two weeks ago you didn't like the fact that we were patting each other on the back, so we're cutting your legs out. You were, you were serious about that. <laughs> yeah, I was. <laughs> if I'd known this was going to be a lesson in grammar, I wouldn't have come in. Yeah, yeah. I know. It makes it hard. <laughs> All right. The rules by which we live. There you go. Yeah. You know, I, I got in trouble a few times because I, I one of those things you say during your whole life, you know, the irregardless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I made that mistake a couple times on a video and got yep. quite a few comments on our yeah. YouTube channel about the word irregardless. So I've, I've stopped since. But on, on the way in, um, you know, this I think this happened yesterday. We found out through our social media channels that Dixon County Schools had a policy in place regarding isolation and quarantine uh, based on contact tracing for COVID-19. And they, their policy was distinguished by vaccination status. In other words, if a student was contact traced to someone who had tested positive for COVID-19 and they were vaccinated, no biggie. Unvaccinated, you got to stay home. for certain, so, so two different policies uh, based on vaccination. We had some parents reach out and, look, we told them what we know to be the case from Title 14 that we passed at a special session. Well, no, that's that's an adverse action discrimination. It's illegal according to the law. Uh, you cannot distinguish or treat someone differently based on their vaccination status for COVID-19. So we, we tooled parents uh, with this information. They took it back to the school board. The school board comes back. We, we got an email from uh, Danny Weeks, I believe is his name, superintendent of uh, Dixon County Schools. Well, no, it is the policy. And, and by the way, was sort of defending himself. It's not really our policy. This, we're following the guidelines of the Tennessee Department of Health. Well, now I'm getting infuriated a little bit because I'm like, well, when we started the conversation, this was like a uh, sort of a rogue School district. Mm-hmm. But now we're learning this is guidance coming from the state. So we do the research. We pull the document. Sure enough, guidance issued by the Tennessee Department of Health uh, as of, I believe, January 13th. Uh, it might be January. No, January 13th. That's correct. Uh, basically, again, distinguishing policy of quarantining and isolation based on vaccination status. And I'm thinking to myself, this is, to, to me, um, I, now you know, everybody knows that, that follows Tennessee stands. I get pretty wound up about this stuff, so mm-hmm. maybe, maybe everybody doesn't get wound up as much as I do. But fundamentally, understand what's happening. We have a state administration under the direct leadership of Governor Bill Lee, who, 
as you can imagine, is tasked with following the the laws of the state of Tennessee. Right. Uh, responsible to give guidelines to a state agency, i.e. a local education agency, as to policy regarding uh, COVID-19. Again, you would think that the state administration is responsible to advise the state agency in such a way that they comply with the laws passed by our General Assembly. It's incredible to me that, well, well, uh, let me just say, look, it's lawlessness. Mm. It's lawlessness. It angers me. It should anger. <laughs> it should anger every citizen of the state of Tennessee that the your state, your leadership, your elected officials, your governor all the way to the top is advising state agencies in such a way that is removing protections that our elected representatives passed just a few months ago with the stated purpose of securing the individual liberties of individuals in this state. And um, that's where we are right now. Uh, the responses so far that people have received back from the governor's office is, oh, well, uh, not our problem. You should call the Department of Health. <laughs> that was the response from the governor's office on this. Oh, well, you should call the Department of Health. <clears throat> you mean the Department of Health that works for the governor of the state? Is that the Department of Health you refer to? Because yeah. I, 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 I sort of thought it was reasonable to just go straight to the top yeah. and have the issue resolved. But no, we don't do that here in Tennessee. Well, you're, you're, so you're all wound up and pissed off about what's happening at the highest level, the governorship. I think the pissed offness, that's even a thing, <laughs> a word, should start with the school board itself. Yeah. Like you're, you're an elected official on a school board. Not one of those people, not one of those elected officials on that school board had the spine to stand up and say, okay, I know that's what the Tennessee Department of Health is saying, but that's not what our Tennessee state law says. So my question, John, is how many people on that school board actually know the law? Well, okay, then we're going to the root of the problem. Right. You're an elected official. Yeah. You should know what state law is, especially right. when it pertains to what you do as an elected official. Mm -hmm. But that is a valid question, right? It is a valid question. Do they, do they know sad. the law? Yeah. Um, by the way, Gary, um, I know we usually do this at the end, but it does bring up two important questions under our little segment. Do we want to do an early segment? I'm, I'm fine. We do. Let's just jump right into Kevin's segment. <laughs> All right, what, let's do well, it. Seems it's, like a perfect time. Because okay. it's relevant, right? So as you guys know, we have this little segment called Things I Would Never Do as Governor. And um, so coming out of what Gary just told us, here are the two that we can... Add to the long and growing list. Number one, I would never sign legislation banning adverse action against someone based on proof of vaccination status and then ask my Department of Health to draft guidelines compelling schools to take adverse action against students based on their vaccination status. That's, that's a good one, Kevin. Mm -hmm. That's number you know, one. That, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> number two. It's reasonable. Moreover, if confronted by citizens as to why the governor is breaking his own law, I would not pass the buck by referring you to the Department of Health, nor would I make the audacious claim that, and this is what Gary hasn't said, but the other response is, that schools or entities receiving taxpayer dollars are somehow not subject to the law. This is one of the other answers that parents were given from the governor's office. Oh, well, you see, uh, public schools uh, receive public funds, so they're not subject to the same law. That, that was an answer – that was a comment we got on our Telegram channel from a parent that had just gotten off the phone with the governor's office. And somebody at the governor's office told them this. Apparently. 
Wow. So we have, and this isn't disparaging, we, we have literal incompetence at right. the very top of so the executive do you think branch. That play, do you think that's because of the, um, the exception thing that's in Title 14? There, there is no exception for this. That's the thing. Not the, even? No. There was, the only exceptions that exist in Title 14 were carved out for federal contractors, which is currently stayed by a federal court in Kentucky, and uh, the exception uh, for CMS, which we are currently okay. under. Yeah. Um, so, those are the only two exceptions. There so are there's no, no exceptions. So, mis- there's no misunderstanding of that, because there is no exception. No, and the fact that our government is run by taxpayer dollars, uh, we sort of already know that. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that they get taxpayer dollars does not mean they don't have to follow the law. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Something Gary said sounded really similar to a um, <laughs> an encounter I had with the federal government in 2013, because you used the term guidance, right? When the school board was contacted and we thought this was a rogue school board, it was, no, we had received guidance from on high, right? In this case, the Department of Health. It's the same exact language that we were given in 2013 when the IRS went after our groups. Remember, Lois Lerner came out and said, because she knew that the IG report was coming, holding her accountable for targeting conservative groups, viewpoint discrimination based on what we believed. She came out right away and blamed it on two rogue agents in the Cincinnati IRS office. Mm. But I knew, this is why we filed the lawsuit and eventually won, forcing the consent decree, I knew immediately that she was lying because... I had spoken to an IRS agent in Cincinnati who told me, quote, we have received guidance from our superiors and we're waiting for further guidance before we can issue your letter, Mm. indicating that the whole thing was coming from the top, which we knew and suspected, but we had evidence. It's stunning what you can get from the local school board because they think they're just following the rules, right? They're following the wrong rules, but they're going to admit this when you have these conversations with them. It's just stunning how how far apart they are from um, following the law, how how distant they are from their true responsibilities. But I just find that striking that they used guidance from above to break the law, which was the same thing that the Obama administration was doing back in 2013. Because, John, something you said earlier, too, was incredibly important. I mean, that's really the point we've been making on so many fronts is that, including school boards, uh, and, and, you know, you're absolutely right. Each of those school board members, as duly elected officials of of the people over which they represent, are in and of themselves responsible and have a duty to follow the law and to not exceed their authority um, as elected officials and are accountable to that fact, regardless whether or not someone else is advising them to do differently. Mm -hmm. And so I think think that's another important distinction is like, gosh, look, if you're going to run for office – uh, you got to understand that you are, um, you know, I've said this before, it's like the whole, you know, going back to the original mask mandate. Because if you've been following Tennessee Stands, you know that we filed a lawsuit in Williamson County. And while the, the lawsuit was dismissed based on standing, we did get an alternative ruling. And we had a judge, sitting judge, acknowledge that he could find nowhere in the law by which a school board official had the authority, the statutory authority, to issue a mask mandate. So the the simple premise that I've always said is, is, is this. If I'm an elected official, and at the very least, I'm not sure mm-hmm. if I have the power to do something. Like I'm there's just there's a there's any kind of doubt as to whether I carry such authority. Then guess what you do? 
you don't do it. Yeah. You know, you, you when it comes to screwing around with people's lives and especially their children, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not sure that you have the authority to do something, you just don't do it. You err on the side of liberty. Yeah. Right? And um, so that, that I think it's an important distinction to make is that, um, yeah, it's not just the governor. It's not just the Department of Health. It's these school board members. It's all the way down. Mm-hmm. We're, we're accountable for our actions. And it, so Dixon School Board, if you're, if you're listening, um, stop it. Uh, number one, you, you absolutely do not have the authority to do this per Title 14. But number two, even, even if I'm wrong, let's just say there's a considerable amount of doubt as to whether or not you have this authority, regardless of the guidance you're receiving. So just stop it. Yeah. Just stop it. And I, I wonder if Dixon County has a county mayor that's willing to go to jail for any parents out there that are struggling <laughs> with these unconstitutional edicts. You know, early on, you know, as an elected official, you know, one of the, the speeches I made uh, in, in standing up for liberty is that if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of the people. I'm going to err on the side of freedom, ultimately liberty. And and unfortunately, what's happened during COVID, and you've seen it at all levels, is that you know, elected officials have suddenly been just empowered with almost blanket authority, mm-hmm. and many are just drunk with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the question is, is how do we get this back? How, how do we wrench this away from some of these elected officials? Because they, they have gone rogue, if you will. Yeah, and that, and that empowering was, didn't come from anyone other than themselves, right? They've invested themselves with power. Uh, as the declaration says, invested themselves with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. It's exactly what they've done. Well, that's a good question. Like, how do we get it back? Because so many people know the phrase, liberty once lost is never regained. But if we don't regain at least a portion of this, we don't have a country. So, yeah, or, or our country is simply a geographic location with various people groups who occupy the same space. But there are no shared values. There's no shared laws. You can't construct a whole society based on not shared values. Well, I mean, that, but that's my question. Like, are there practical ways? Before we go to that, can I make one comment on what Gary was saying? Yeah, yeah. And that was the other problem with the school boards, not just the school boards, school boards in this situation, is this constant deferring to experts, quote unquote, right? And that's what the school board has done here. They have not taken on the responsibility to know the law themselves and to exercise their authority as a school board, but they've deferred to what they deem to be the expert Department of Health Mm -hmm. on this issue, right? That never happened with our founders. In fact, the citizens, if anything, the citizens were deemed the experts to the founders, and so they deferred to the citizens' expertise on these issues. In our case, the citizens are deemed wrongly to be the dumbest, the lowest common denominator, the ones who we ignore and therefore act without their consent. Mm-hmm. And it brings, you know, fortunately, we, we have, I'm, I'm thinking, what you just said makes me think of these Supreme Court decisions that we just recently saw. And it was interesting to hear even the six justices who voted for the stay on the OSHA mandate, our six conservative justices, even they were split on the reasoning why. Mm-hmm. Uh, three of them, simply believed that it wasn't about the Constitution or authority. It was simply that they felt that the OSHA mandate was too broad. It affected 84 million people. And they weren't really sure that the Senate, that the, that Congress had really given them that specific power. But if Congress had given them that specific power and their rule was tailored to be a little bit more narrow, they would have been fine with it. 
Whereas the other three justices, so I, so I appreciated the fact that Neil Gorsuch authored a concurring opinion along with um, Alito and Thomas, and his central premise was this. He said, look, we're missing the point. This isn't about vaccine efficacy. This isn't about whether or not this issue should be addressed. He said, the central question we all need to be asking is this, who decides? Mm-hmm. Who decides? And really, is it the federal government? Is it OSHA? Is it the Supreme Court? Or is it the states? Or is it the people? That was that was his central premise. Who and I, that's that to me, we have lost that in all of these conversations. This isn't about whether or not something should be done or what I feel like should be done or whether this is dangerous or whether someone needs to be safe. The the bottom line is if you're an elected official, who decides? Do you have the authority to yes. do whatever it is you feel like? needs to be done do you have the people given you the authority to do it yeah that's that's it, the question it's exactly right because i was going to add to that who decides and upon whose authority or upon what authority which gets to gary if you could make this point um as you did on tuesday when you pulled up that slide um at our event in chattanooga about sotomayor's comment about the what she believes to be the authority of the supreme court and i think this is what gorsuch was um, taking a counter position to uh, when he was saying, you know, who decides this question? Because well, I'll let you go ahead and explain that. But, you know, the, the slide I'm talking about. Yeah, well, she was referring. Uh, it, it, it was an interesting argument because actually what she's arguing, she, she's using this argument to try to explain why the court has this uh, super constitutional, extraordinary power to be the sole arbiter of what the Constitution means. So, so she believes the court has it, and she's trying to set the table to explain why why it's appropriate that the court has this authority to define what the Constitution means. But, but what she doesn't realize she's doing is that in her defense, she's explaining why they actually don't why she have doesn't it. Have it, yeah. And so she goes back to 18 so, – so, y'all, you realize this question of authority is, is not a new problem. Okay, we've been doing this since the beginning. Marbury versus Madison, 1803. The court, for the first time, determined this, this idea of judicial review, that it had the right to be the, the arbiter of what the Constitution means for everyone else. And Sonia Sotomayor says, rightfully, that – this power is not – this is her words. This power, we know, is not found in the Constitution. The court reasoned it from the Constitution. She says it was a novel idea at the time. So what you mean to say is that you're acknowledging the fact that you have power that you gave to yourself, and that's appropriate to you. Mm-hmm. The fact that you are wielding power that you gave to yourself that is found nowhere in our founding documents drafted by the people of this country, which means, guess what? We've never consented to it. Well, I guess we have consented to it since yeah. 1803 because we've right. accepted it. But um, this is where we are, and this this is this is one of the nine supposedly most legally astute <laughs> men and women. Yeah, supposedly with big air quotes around those. In fact, air <laughs> quotes so big you can't fit them in this room. Yeah, that's. Assigning yourself power that you supposed from a document 
Isn't that kind of like the definition of tyranny? That doesn't say what you supposed it says. <laughs> regardless, <laughs> regardless whether it, yeah, yeah. I think that kind of like the picture of tyranny in the dictionary, right? It, there's that that line in Princess Bride. I don't think that means what you yeah. think it means. <laughs> you, you keep saying that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> and, and when he when he look across this country and you look at these elected officials, and, and obviously I'm an elected official, so I'm, I'm picking on myself. But you know, it's like, yeah, that doesn't say what you think it says. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. You know, but there's this assumed power. What, I think what's more concerning than this power grab by people in office. Because isn't that just kind of human nature? We all we want more. It's how willingly the American people have gone Correct. along. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm not, I'm not downplaying COVID. That's a conversation for another day. It does have a 99% survival rate. So we've set this threshold for state of emergency that you literally, a toddler could step over. 99% survival rate. And we know the cohort the medical cohort who's most at risk. Mm -hmm. And we look at the trillions of dollars that have been spent and the trillions of dollars that have been damaged, the damage that has been done to our economy, you could have spent a fraction protecting Mm -hmm. that cohort Mm -hmm. and we could have pushed through this. And so, but again, going back to that point, we the people rolled over and let our country be taken away. Mm. And Gary, can you tell us, speaking of state of emergency that Andy addressed, can you tell us why our governor finally agreed to lift the state of emergency after 20 months? Well, this is my personal opinion, but I believe myself to be personally correct. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we value your opinion. <laughs> so, now, your, your last name is what? Humble? Uh, I, mean, I could feel Andy chime, wanting to chime in. <laughs> So, I, you know, it was interesting to me, you know, in this whole special session, which was total shenanigans, going into it, 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 was, it was speculated by many, and it was, it was actually told from the very top, all the way, and the Speaker of the House said this himself on a, a radio program, I heard it, my own ears, that we expected the special session to be roughly two weeks, two to three weeks. And um, going into it, there were 80, I believe, 84 bills filed. And some really good ones, by the way. One in particular dealing with patient rights uh, that was about four pages, four to five pages, if I recall. It was submitted by Representative Todd Warner out of Marshall County. It's a great bill. We supported it. We were excited that it was going to be discussed. And, the, and one of the primary issues that it dealt with was the fact that during all of this COVID response, look, we all know this to be true. And I guarantee you, so many of you listening to this podcast know someone personally who had a family member or a spouse walk into the hospital with COVID, you were barred from going into the hospital and you never saw that person again. Mm-hmm. It just, that, that, there are thousands upon thousands of those stories just in the state of Tennessee, okay? And uh, so part of this bill was to say, look, the hospital, even in dealing with COVID, is required to allow at least one visitor into the room with that person as long as the person is not showing symptoms and is not tested positive for COVID. They're, they're required to let them in the hospital. And that was – the point of that was was so that, number one, people weren't dying alone or, or weren't by themselves. But it was also so that these patients had an advocate, Yeah, you know, because so often – 
they were going on a vent. They were giving remdesivir. They were being sedated to the point where they, they weren't in a position to make their own medical decisions. And there were no family members there to inform what was going on. Um, so all 84 of these bills were killed, slaughtered by the committee uh, in, in adoption of this singular omnibus bill. And within two days, forget two weeks, in two days we're now voting on this bill, that, f- that five pages of patient protections was mulled down to two sentences that ended up in the omnibus bill. And the most nefarious thing I've ever seen is that those two sentences now were written to say that the, the hospital was required to allow a visitor in with the patient, guess what, only during a state of emergency which when the bill passed, we were still in a state of emergency. In fact, we had been in a state of emergency for 20 months now, for no reason at all, other than to accept federal dollars, which we all know that. Next thing you know, the governor signs the bill on November 12th, becomes a law, and within days, we're no longer in a state of emergency. It now lapses. And this one little bit of protection that people we're breathing a sigh of relief over is now gone and hospitals are immediately back to barring family members from coming into the hospital while their loved ones are laying in a bed dying of covid on a on a ventilator so what's the what's the reasoning for that like why would why would you make a rule that people can't come into the hospital or people can come into the hospital, but only during a state of emergency. Why? Why would you, you make it when they state you, of emergency? You tell we, you tell me, John. Maybe because you knew that you were going to allow the state of emergency to expire, and the law you were passing to appease people was going to be null and void just a few days later. Is that could that be, John? Would we do that in Tennessee, John? But but then it still goes back to the you why. can't handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get to it first. <laughs> But why? I it still goes back to the why. I mean, is is obvious, is there a money thing here? Like, why why would a hospital have have, have we have, do we not understand by now? Come on, come on, y'all. Do we not wait? Get wait, the, wait! Don't say y'all because John was the one asking on, y'all. why. Do we do we not get that these hospitals are getting paid for every COVID patient that enters? Through its doors. Paid for every COVID patient entering, paid for severe, paid for ventilators. So thus, if they don't have a family member in the room, you can keep, they, they you, can keep doing you these can keep protocols. Doing that, yeah. Okay, now, okay, all right. I'm understanding Because now. if the family member's in the room, guess what they're telling the doctor? Hell no. Mm-hmm. And they don't get to make the money that... Okay. You got it. Yeah, and threatening I gotta them, ask questions to think it through. I gotta understand why. And is it not also true that the threat from anybody that leaves on his own power is that, well... You won't get that. Your bills are all your own responsibility. Your insurance won't pay for it, Medicare, anything of that nature. So you've got people imprisoned in the hospital on kind of a double uh, on a on the front and the back. On the front side, you're imprisoned um, under the desire to collect all the federal money that you can collect for these protocols, which end up killing people. And on the back side, oh, if you leave, Medicare is not going to pay for um, their portion of the and, bill. And these these dollars that hospitals are getting for COVID patient, registered COVID patients, for registered COVID deaths, for ventilation, all that kind of stuff. 
This is all documented. We have proof of all this? Yeah, and people are waking up to this fact. There was actually, a, this is all documented. There was an interview done, a woman here in Tennessee named A.J. Yes. DePriest. Mm-hmm. And um, she she got to uh, do an interview on the high wire with Del Bigtree. And uh, all of this was really put out in, in great detail on these ESSER grants that were coming into school boards and the monies that were being paid to uh, hospitals. For pretty, these, this is all tied to federal dollars and COVID relief. Mm. And these people are just walking away with pocketfuls of money. Mm. Follow the money. It's not just a statement. Yeah. Right? No, I get it. Well, I'm just glad uh, that I didn't go to jail and get married in jail. So That's um, a good thing. Supreme Court, I thank you. <laughs> you got something right. <laughs> wait, wait, I missed I miss the marriage thing. Yeah, you were researching when uh, he was telling... Uh, I knew about the jail thing, but what's the marriage Glenn, part? Uh, Glenn Jacobs had called into the ra- uh, radio uh, on, uh, so tu- on Tuesdays right. I do iHeart, and, you know, so Michael Patrick Leahy kind of queued up, so, you know, Andy might have to go to jail, he's going to resist these mandates, and, um, you know, what do you think about that? And, of course, you know, the joke was... You know, we had joked about the Paul, that there was a movie back in the 80s or 90s. My bodyguard, Paul Simon, had a song about right, it, right, or whatever. Right. And, you know, I had jokes. He's like, you know, I'm going to need a bodyguard if I have to go to jail. Like, you know, and then just so happens, Glenn Jacobs calls in. He's like, oh, you can be my bodyguard. So, <laughs> I see. <laughs> but not <Okay>. spouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's be clear. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. please don't go to jail with me, right? Yeah. All right. So this, this episode come, is, should air on the uh, 26th, I believe. That's correct. And so... One thing that should be mentioned, Gary, if there are still spots left, that yeah. tomorrow night. Yes, we will, uh, 27th, uh, so thir- is it a Thursday night? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we're doing an election integrity symposium uh, here in downtown Franklin, 6 p.m., Generations Church. And uh, we've got Garland Favorito from Georgia and Mark Fincham from Arizona will be here with us. Uh, including um, election commissioner, uh, I think it's Benny Smith from mm-hmm. uh, Shelby County, and uh, also um, several state legislators will be there. So um, we're excited to talk about. Uh, and look, I'll just say to join us, we'll we'll be streaming the event also live on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website. And this isn't about just you know, we all know what happened in 2020, and yes, we're we're just as pissed off as anybody else about it. But but this this. Symposium is about solutions. We're we're simply there's a group of people that have been looking into the holes that exist here in Tennessee, and what we're saying is, if we don't fix, if we don't fill these holes, right, and begin to put these some of these measures in place, um, we we are subject to fraud here in Tennessee. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. in the great state of Tennessee, where nothing bad ever happens, and no one would ever do anything unlawful. More of those big air quotes. <laughs> um, yeah. We, we, we are susceptible to fraud, and so this symposium is all about looking at, at the solutions that are, that are designed uh, to fix that. Okay. Well, and it should be noted that you know it takes time to change out machines, and there's a process, so you just can't switch on a dime. So that's why you've got to do today in order to protect yourself two, four, six, eight years down the road. Yeah, we've got to be doing this now. Right. That's right. So if there are tickets left, that's tomorrow night, yeah. January 27th, so you can go to tennesseestands.org slash symposium. Make sure to register, tennesseestands.org slash symposium. But if there are no tickets left, we'll be live streaming. We'll be live streaming. At tennesseestands.org. Facebook, YouTube, on our website. Uh, and, of course, that'll be also on demand after the event. Okay. Well, Andy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining thanks us. Thanks for coming, brother. Yeah. Kevin, Gary, thanks Thank for you. answering my questions. Yep. Gary, thanks for letting us uh, 
knock your legs out <laughs> a little bit today. <laughs> Maybe next week was, will be that nicer. That was more fun. Yeah. Oh, no, I like this. I like oh, this yeah. version. A little, yeah, little more energy. The roasting's fun. Okay. Cause, yeah. right. Well, because well, Gary was so upset when he came in, I knew this was going to be good energy today. All right. <laughs> we'll just get mad at each other next week. <laughs> All right. All right. Till next week. Thanks, John. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Matters podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. And remember, as revolutionary Thomas Paine once stated, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it. <laughs>